hello and welcome to a brand new uh, podcast in which me and Mark have finally, after ages, landed on a format that we're probably both going to enjoy. <laughs> which I, I don't know why it took us this long to work this out. We're just we're just going to watch Star Trek and talk about it. Yep. <laughs> so, Mark, let's just start by so, Mark. When did you first encounter the wonderful TV show that is Star Trek? I feel like I'm going to alienate a lot of people immediately by saying that I am 33, and for the vast majority of my life, I was of the opinion that Star Trek is a lame show for nerds, and that no one who likes it is cool, and if anyone ever brings it up to me, it's because they've got nothing better to talk about, and they should all fuck off. How and ever. And, incredibly... That's not the statement that's going to make people turn off this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) The statement that is going to make people turn off this podcast is that in 2009, a little movie director called J.J. Abrams took the Star Trek (laughs) franchise and decided to make a movie. (laughs) And after I watched the first trailer, I went, this looks really good. (laughs) I should give Star Trek a shot. (laughs) So... I went out <laughs> and I bought the first season of the original series, which was, let's say, slightly different from Mr. Abrams' vision. <laughs> but I yeah. kind of immediately fell in love. However, I I'm not I wouldn't call myself a newcomer. I'm not a novice when it comes to Star Trek. I'm I'm intermediate. I have seen I reckon I reckon there's about 90% of the next generation Voyager I've never seen. I have seen exactly one episode of Deep Space Nine. I kind of pick and choose where I go like a, the last couple of weeks I have been watching the just the Borg episodes because <laughs> I'm kind of fascinated with the Borg. And I've seen kind of random ones here and there when they've been on the horror channel. I've the show I've probably seen the most of is the original series. But I love it. I obviously have seen episodes of Star Trek I didn't like and didn't think were very good. But all in all, I didn't really come to Star Trek until my mid-twenties, so I didn't see it when I was a kid. But I love it now. Yeah, that's kind of my story. Um, <laughs> fucking hell, man. But it's like, <laughs> don't worry, I'm certain no one's going to be angry about you being into it because of the J.J. Abrams movie. This is the internet, so it'll be fine, I'm certain. <laughs> uh, I, on the other hand, I've, I can't remember not liking Star Trek. Right. I think I like first saw like some episodes of original series when I was about seven or eight, and I was like, this is amazing. And then Next Generation came along, and it was in that time slot between... The Simpsons starting at six and Neighbours finishing. You know, it was like the, between the between five and six on BBC, and it was like in the same time slot like that Buffy was on for half of the year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I watched. I watched. Ended up watching. I think I've probably watched most of the Next Generation, but this was pre, like internet really being a thing. So right. I've I've seen most of it as it was broadcast, and I'm certain wow. we're going to get to chunks that I never saw because I've never gone back and re I've rewatched a few episodes but I've never rewatched it all. I have watched Deep Space Nine all the way through twice because it is the best Star Trek. I've watched a fair few of the original series and I think I've watched and this is what makes me sad is 
I've probably watched ninety nine percent of Voyager, and I don't think Voyager is worth watching. <laughs> <laughs> I- I, I I like the Borg stuff from Voyager because, as I just said, that's the only stuff I've actually seen. Oh, the point where Janeway goes from questionable command decisions and into full-on war crimes. Oh, well, yeah, <laughs> she, she is a terrible captain. Yeah, she provides a genocidal race that wants to extinguish all life in the galaxy and replace them with their own thing. She provides them with weapons because it's quicker to get home that way. <laughs> <laughs> so... I the only Star Trek I have ever seen as it broadcast was uh, Star Trek Discovery, and by as it broadcast, I mean I watched ten minutes of the first episode and went, "Well, this is a pile of shit." Yeah, I, I don't like I don't like Discovery either, and it's not like there's a lot of this is something I want to point out. A lot of people going about how people who, there's a lot of people who don't like Star Trek Discovery for really shitty fucking reasons, but the reason I don't like Star Trek Discovery is because the ship looks shit, and I don't want to live on it. And I yeah. want to live on all of the Star Treks, like even like these places. Now, which is a bit grungy. I'm like, oh, this looks like fun. There's a bar, but you know, like I was at Star Trek Discovery. And it's like it's all dark and miserable, and everything keeps fucking exploding, and you're constantly in massive space wars. But yeah, and also I, I, I'm not really a military guy. Like I, my family were never in the military, unless you count the IRA. Um, my, <laughs> and who doesn't? Uh, my. I, I just have no compunction to do that whatsoever. However, on saying that, I would join Starfleet because I think oh, that's yeah. a very noble thing to do. The, the you know um, Simon Pegg puts it best in Star Trek Into Darkness, which hopefully we won't talk about too much. When they suggest bringing on the the the, the photon torpedoes, and Scotty turns them down, and Kirk gives him a bit of grief, and Scotty says. I thought we were supposed to be explorers. Yeah. Isn't that what we're here for? Which, that really speaks to me. Like, I, I'm not... Re- I really liked Stargate. I have seen every episode of Stargate. Same here, I've watched every episode. It's so much fun. I've even watched the animated series. Just for pure shits and giggles. And Stargate, I quite like because it is very military heavy. And it's interesting to see how the military would deal with these situations. But I really like Star Trek because I, I I don't know it just it feels interesting to watch Starfleet and I know that they are supposed to be the Federation Navy. Yeah, but, yeah. You know they're not super militaristic. They have to deal with the big questions. I like that. Yeah, that that. Yeah, and it, it, it I feel like I lost a lot of time in my youth when I could have been watching Star Trek, <laughs> doing things like trying you know trying to appear cool. Uh, to other people by doing uh, tap dancing, for example, for seven <laughs> years, and uh, appearing in amateur dramatic productions of The Wizard of Oz as the Tin Man, the worst character. Whereas all the lame people who watched Star Trek had girlfriends and drugs. This is you. Are, you do have exactly the sort of hobbies that I would expect from a Starfleet officer, though. Because nobody's ever got like nobody's ever like what's your what's your hobby? Oh, I just sit and play the PlayStation Six Thousand of an evening. <laughs> it's like it's always like oh, what's your hobbies? Oh, I'm, I, do, I play six instruments and I can dance and I put on plays. Yeah, nobody's ever like oh, you finish finish work. What are you gonna do? I'm gonna go get drunk, Steve. We deal with horrific psychologically damaging things on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, and it's weird we don't take time off. <laughs> I I think that the, there is a there is like a certain. Uh, 
like appeal to me of just the Star Trek universe of just a post currency because I hate money. I find it very uncomfortable <laughs> and I don't like it. And I wish everything was free, not because I want loads of stuff, but just because then people would be free to pursue their their creative hobbies. And Star Trek offers a world in which that is completely possible. And I'd like to live in that world. Now, yeah. something else that offers that is... Well, I don't know. Universal right? basic income. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's let's put a cut point here, right? And I'm going to... Because I'm going to bring up something that I... I don't know whether we want to pollute the first episode of our Star Trek podcast with it. Or if we want to do a special where we just discuss it at great length. But the Orville is <laughs> the best modern Star Trek show. Like, by far. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And all of the things I love about Star Trek are present in the Orville, and it illust- illustrates it very well. I, I had an idea for that, and that's if we do this long enough, our Christmas specials should just be Orville episodes. Fuck uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm up for that, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, Cut point. Just be clear, yeah, we haven't said this to the audience, so we should say this. We are going to start with, we're going to do Next Generation first. When we finish every episode of Next Generation... I, I, maybe we'll go back and do the original series, which will. But we're doing t- TNG because it's 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 a, it's in everybody's top two Star Treks. I think it's fair to say that if you're a fan of the original series, your second best is Next Generation. If you like Next Generation, it's your favourite. My favourite is Deep Space Nine, and Next Generation is my second favourite. So we're just going to start with TNG. My my favourites are TNG and then the movie Galaxy Quest. <laughs> If Galaxy Quest counts as a Star Trek movie, it keeps alive the good, bad, odd, even numbering uh, for the films. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah. So, we will be starting with uh, Encounter at Farpoint. And so, I, I did mention to you, Mark, beforehand, <laughs> that I want to mention on this is, my Netflix did open at season three, which might be because of where <laughs> I was watching Star Trek, or might just be a service, because... I, uh, it was only after we agreed to do this that I suddenly remembered how bad parts of season one and season two are. And I would like to say, just straight off the bat, Encounter at Farpoint, far better than I fucking remember it being. Um, hmm. So I'm watching the, we're watching these on Netflix, so they're the digitally remastered ones, which I've never got around to seeing Like a lot of these. So it looks great. Because, yeah, this was originally, Mark, this wasn't CGI. This was done with models on string. Nice. (laughs) My first observation, I took a lot of notes about Encounter at Farpoint, is that the episode starts off with an incredibly cinematic shot of Captain Picard in the dark, walking into the light, shown onto him by a window into space, and is then followed by some god-awful camera work involving a tripod that someone obviously kicked. So complete, some some wonderful cinematic stuff accompanied by some technically amateur hour camera work, which to me is a microcosm of the whole show. (laughs) Yeah, definitely in the first couple of seasons, that is a perfect summation of my views on... On start on on next generation. Uh, I, one thing I've just written in my notes. My first note is because um, watching this critically for the first time, I thought it should be a bit more analytical. And my first note I've written down is the intro is so fucking great. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it's fucking incredible. Uh, I it's just this- I think I actually think I've talked about this on our myriad of other podcasts. <laughs> when I die, F 
if I die, I want my funeral, and I don't, I, I don't care the logistics of this. They are going to figure it out, right? I want to be fi- I want to be fired naked into space. But when I'm fired, as the body, as you follow it up into the upper atmosphere, I just want the opening notes of the Star Trek: The Next Generation <laughs> theme. To begin, played on piano. (laughs) And then when we get to that part, I want everyone to salute. Okay. (laughs) So, another quick I do need to mention is, of course, the one that is the classic Star Treks being presented to us in glorious 4x9. None of that distracting widescreen to bother with. (laughs) We're going to... Focus deeply in on the story. I um, we're not here for this because this isn't the cinematography podcast. I will defend the four three format to the death. So keep those fucking opinions to yourself. I, I, I like it as well. I've watched the lighthouse. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then I've just I've written down because I clearly read because I saw the actor's name pop up in the credits. Q is in this one. Hooray! Mm-hmm. So this is as well. This is the introduction of the galaxy class. Uh, Enterprise, uh, and throughout this uh, show, this episode, we'll get lots of like basic bits that are there just to establish cool shit that the Galaxy class has, yep. including a scene later on where Riker is incredibly impressed by what is basically an Alexa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know that. <laughs> so I do, because obviously I want my girlfriend to be one of the six people who listen to this, and she doesn't give a fuck about Star Trek. So I'm okay. I'm worried that this might not be as accessible to people that aren't watching along with us. So Eddie, Ensign yes. Ensign Edwards, yes, I would like you to tell me the plot of both parts of the episode, Encounter at Farpoint, and you have thirty seconds to do so. Your time starts now. Okay, the Enterprise is going to a space station because it's a little bit weird what's going on there. It's a star base, it's on a planet, but they don't know how it got there because the people who live there don't have the technology to make that sort of thing. On the way, they get stopped by Q, who is essentially Space God. We don't have time to go into 15 that. seconds. Um, right. Um, they, uh, he gives them the task of working out what's going on at Farpoint. They get there. It turns out that the Farpoint station is actually an alien that's being kept as a prisoner. Another alien turns up. The Enterprise free it. They let it go. And Q goes, ah, okay, good enough. And doesn't kill all of the human race. I think that's it. Bosh! Exactly 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that was it. So t- yeah. turns out the turns out the, the thing that... The, spoilers. For a show that was released in 1987. <laughs> Turn, turns out the th- the planet that they're going to is a, a big jellyfish, a space jellyfish. Yeah, a space jellyfish that's crash landed on a planet and can do other things other than being a jellyfish. So they've used it for those purposes. Yeah. Now, as as the pilot, right? Obviously, this has to do a lot. It has to introduce us to the characters and, most importantly, tell us their names. Yeah. And the best way that it does that is at one point, Jordi LaForge comes up to Commander Riker and says, Sir, report from the Enterprise, they've... And then Riker goes, sorry, is this an official report, Lieutenant? And he goes, oh, sorry, sir. (laughs) Lieutenant Jordi LaForge reporting in. 
we've received a report from the Enterprise <laughs> that they have docked. So all he yeah. does is give him the exact same information and stands a bit more straight and says his name, which is yeah. the best way I have ever seen the writers get around. <laughs> ah, Jordy hasn't told us what his name was, and we don't want people to distinguish him as, you know, the guy with the thing, which, to be fair would be a lot more of a signifier and be a lot less uncomfortable than going, you know, the black guy. <laughs> so, I like that they had him, they really, they specifically had Jordy say his name because they're like, well, he's got a weird thing on his face and we're going to want to people to, to say his name rather than the black dude with the weird thing on his face. Yeah. but you know. I, I was also going to say with this being a pilot, I think that they, so so things that a lot of people like things you, about Star Trek season one of TNG that a lot of people won't know is, for example, Geordie LaForge isn't the chief engineer at this point. He's just one of the like guys. the The core crew and and Worf isn't the um, security officer. And it seems from a lot of the shoot, like the way that the shots are put together, that they were kind of banking on their core characters being. Picard, Councillor Troy, Data, and Tasha Yar. But they're also, a lot of the writers on this were the writers for the original series. So I imagine after finishing this episode, that was, they, they went, ah, oh, it's just, you know, writing women like they're people. That's tiring. <laughs> let's, let's, let's start that off. Um, I do also want to point out something that a lot of people might not know is um, uh, Next Generation takes place in a, is a post-apocalyptic yeah. like franchise. There has been an apocalypse on Earth. There's been multiple horrifying wars. And, and to, to demonstrate how terrible these are, uh, Data doesn't know what the word snoop means, <laughs> which does suggest that this is indeed a future where they have forgotten about Dre. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> where Martha Stewart was known only as a housekeeper and a woman in jail. Now, rather than redeeming herself by uh, selling lighters along with Snoop Dogg, <laughs> is that a reference that you understand, Eddie? Yes, Good. yes it is. It's not going to be explained for anyone else. So, um, you are right. Now, as I can't really remember TOS, the original series, so... Do how much do we know about World War Three? It was established in the original series that it did happen, right? It it did happen, and the main thing we know is there was that war, and then after that there was the eugenics war. Yeah, that was in the nineties, and that was yeah that that supposedly happened in the nineteen nineties, and it's one of those annoying bits of Star Trek lore that because we've hit the point where it should have happened, we now are definitely in a different timeline. Um, but you also can't say it didn't happen because it's Khan's origin story. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you can eat. Yeah. If you can, you can do it if you don't want to do Khan, which, as JJ Abrams has shown, nobody wants to do Star Trek and doesn't want to do Khan. So, yeah, there was a World War Three. There was uh, there was a eugenics war, and as is established in this, in a brief mention, there they, there is a there was a period known as the Atomic Horror. <laughs> and what is the Atomic Horror? look like tell 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 the listeners what that is portrayed as like what well i've 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 because <laughs> because q q is like you say space god he's like an an omnipotent an, 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 an being so he can create reality around him and one thing that he does is take four of the crew 
the four that you mentioned and take them essentially back in time to the 2070-ish era. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've literally, what I've got written down is you can tell this is the post-atomic horror because they've got a dwarf and an Asian man. <laughs> um. Did you... <laughs> did you... <laughs> What the fuck? Did you? That's literally it. That's that is, it's it's a weird. So 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 if you haven't seen this episode, what happens is they're traveling along to go to Farpoint Station. Um, Q turns up, and Q is basically an omnipotent being, so he can do whatever he wants. And what he wants to do is put on his one man show on the history of war. Uh, so he has a bunch of costume changes and plays various characters as he explains that humans should maybe piss off back to Earth. Which, bearing in mind that of the crew he's talking to. Tasha Yar's not from Earth. She's from the only Federation planet that has war crimes. Deanna Troy's a half Betazoid. Yeah. Worf's Klingon. And Data's from like a fucking tool shed somewhere. Yeah, and Picard's so, from France. Which isn't, yeah, so. <laughs> Surely part of Picard's defense should have been you accuse me of being warlike, and yet I'm from a country that consistently surrenders. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will I will defend uh, the French, mainly because as <laughs> as a Scotsman, it's kind of in my cultural history. Uh, but aren't the French well known for if things even get a little bit bad, they will declare <laughs> war on themselves until things are better? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, um, it, but yeah, I I have written down. Does Q have a point? Yeah, I think that's fair. That's, that does Q have a point? Could be the separate name for this show. Because is in response to being told that they're too warlike, um, the first thing Picard does is order them to prepare the photon torpedo. <laughs> <laughs> Worf um, is they're, they're basically at this point because Q is God. I can't stress that enough. He has all of the powers of God, and he's like at one point in this they try and dip, fly away from him, and he has to chase after them. And as will be established in later episodes involving Q. He's just dicking with them. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no way they could possibly escape. Um, uh, Worf wants to basically go to war and die horribly fighting Q uh, and is ordered not to do this, which makes him very upset. <laughs> Why? That's my question, right? So, so part of Starfleet's kind of mandate, right, is that they have to respect other cultures as yeah. far as, as they are able to do so within Starfleet, right? And that's why Worf is able to wear the, the Klingon sash. That's why Worf has that extra thing to identify him as a Klingon because people might just look at him and go, is that guy just a car crash victim? <laughs> no, he has this uh, the sash thing on, right? And Picard says, <laughs> he says to Picard, I'm a Klingon. If I was to die in war, that would be an honourable death. And Picard goes, no, you're a Starfleet officer, so you're going to do what I say. As if there aren't other Starfleet officers that he could have used to take over the saucer section while he was away on the away team. Do you know what I mean? Like, like why, like why even? Oh, just like so. Yeah, that's a put fucking to... right because you have to you have to put Troy in charge, right? You can't. Sorry, you have to bring. I, I you have to bring Troy because she yeah. is a Betazoid. So as a Betazoid, she is essentially kind of psychic but not really she can sense motivation right it's important to note that the, the betazoid thing is that they're kind of rubbish psychics yeah but then as an additional layer on that troy is rubbish at being a psychic <laughs> yeah she's like a level of psychic where 
you wouldn't really trust her to do anything, but if you went to her as a fortune teller and paid her 20 quid, you'd come away from it and go, that wasn't necessarily 20 quid wasted. That's like the level of how good a psychic she is. She's basically fine. She's a slightly better psychic than everyone else on the bridge. Troy has a really bad habit throughout Star Trek of it's the equivalent of like she's watching like Boris Johnson give a speech and then she'll just turn to Picard and go, Captain, he's hiding something. And it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I oh well, okay sorry, so, go yeah, on, so, so, so yeah so the, the sh- this one of the things the, the Enterprise can do is this one can do the old one can is they can take the saucer section off the front and put that off to one side so it's not in peril. And this is a really useful thing that will be done, I think, four times in the entirety of TNG, even though there's loads of occasions where they should totally do this. But it was one of those ideas that looked really cool, and then they realised that to do it is five minutes of the episode gone. Um, but um, there's a bit where you see everyone running around, and I want to point out, God, the uniforms are shit. I'd forgotten about that. There's a bit where one guy walks past, and he's wearing a one-piece suit with tidy little shorts, and it makes it look like he's wearing a skirt. He has made a skirt. <laughs> And I have made a note of that because I said that there are several male-presenting Starfleet members wearing skirts. Uh, It's good, but doesn't continue. Because I remember noticing it the last time I watched Encounter at Farpoint, thinking, hey, that's cool. In in the 23rd century, dress how you want, you know what I mean? Dress the way that you feel inside. Go for it. Good for you. Um... But I don't remember that ever coming up really ever again no. in any of the subsequent episodes I've watched. Yeah, they didn't. No. Um, they could have put Harry Kim in one. That would have given him a bit of personality. <laughs> Speaking of bit of personality, we they go down once they've separated, they go down to the battle bridge where immediately a guy who was clearly cast as just a random bod we could have in the background turns up and steals all the fucking steals the fucking scene because Captain I fucking because Commander O'Brien's here. Uh, what's his rank? Chief. Chief. He is uh, transporter yeah. chief. Well, he's not transporter chief yet. He's Chief O'Brien. Yeah. The uh, my favorite favorite Star Trek character by far. Yeah, he's he's good in Next Generation. He's fucking fantastic in Deep Space Nine. Like, like to the point of like gives us like it, like his casual racism against the Cardassians, who are the only species in Star Trek you're allowed to be racist against because they are legitimately the worst. <laughs> uh, combined with him being one of the best engineers ever, and the fact that he describes his one of his ancestors as being more than a hero, he was a union man because he's a full-on <laughs> communist. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, right, Brian's the best. Star Trek, I mean, we, we something else that we're not going to go into until it comes up, because there's a very interesting story around it, but we know for a fact that Star Trek, uh, like all of the best shows, is pro-IRA. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll get into that soon. So, yeah. they, they go down to the, the... So, Q, once they're on the Battle Bridge, which, by the way, is only... is a clear reference to the original series because it's kind of, it's the same format, but Q then takes them to an approximation, or it could be real, I don't really know how Q's powers work, but he takes them to a courtroom from the 2070s, and my favourite thing about him is that Q's entire shtick is that he's saying, look, as a higher being, I don't trust humans, I am going to put you on trial for all of the horrible things that your ancestors have done. 
data yeah. then stands up and says, in 2036, the new United Nations made a law that no one could be made to answer for the crimes of his race or forebearers. And I put, now, as much as that seems like a very positive thing, what's the chance that that law was drafted by someone who just didn't actually understand what the phrase white privilege really means? <laughs> a, 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 bigger, a bigger and more important question that we, we need to raise about that seemingly good step forward is that th- that's... That's already the law now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I can't be put on trial because my grandfather was in the IRA, which he probably was. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's that's already the law. That, that and anyway, um, yeah. This is this is the post-atomic horror courtroom area, which, as I say, you can tell it's post-atomic horror because they've got a bunch of little people and. Uh, 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 and an, an Asian guy. Did you notice um, that the that the Asian guy, the bailiff, uh, was Shang Tsung from Mortal Kombat? I fucking did. Yeah. <laughs> Shang Tsung. Just weird. does Shang Tsung, does Q outrank Shang Tsung in terms of ridiculously overpowered creatures who are only on a basic level because they're dicking with you? Because Shang Tsung, I'm not going to get into the law of Mortal Kombat. That's its own podcast. Um, uh, I'd also. I've, I'd also like to point out that this scene is the scene that is a notable Star Trek moment because it is the scene in which Q has his best ever hat. Uh, (laughs) And it is very, very... You know, it's highlighted by the the, the wonderful way in which he is brought into the courtroom, which led me to write, why don't all courtrooms have a spotlight? (laughs) And a levitating chair. Yep. Um, the my my favourite thing that happened in that courtroom, and, and I'm all for a Star Trek Next Generation courtroom drama. Personally, I think Measure of a Man is the best Star Trek Next Generation episode. As far as I'm aware, like I say, I haven't seen a lot of it. But of the ones I have seen, that one is the best because it has it's a courtroom drama. It's it's about a big question: Is an android a sentient being? It has interesting character development as well as character interactions with Riker and Picard having to go against each other. Also, Picard's speech in Measure of a Man is his best. But my favourite thing about the courtroom scene in this episode is the uniform that the soldier guys have to wear, which comes with a little box that has a hose connected to it that distributes cocaine. (laughs) You see him take the... And, and Q brings this up. It's not like a, oh, they must need that to breathe because the air is toxic. No. Q literally tells us earlier in the episode that that little box is a box to distribute drugs that you hold to your nose, press a button, and then you feel a lot better about yourself and lose track of how long you have spent explaining to your friend the exact plot of your screenplay. But when one of those guys is taken down... He Q says, take him away. And the next thing you see is a shot of his foot with a rope being put around it and him being pulled away. And my question, is it the rope guy's first day? I have never seen anything 
less secured by rope than that man's dead body. That's the, the problem is, it's not that guy's first day, but he'd just done a bump. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's fine, that's fine. Should we... Do you think a problem with the British and American court system is that not enough of the people working in it are actively on drugs? Um, I don't think that's a problem with the British court system. No, I think uh, it is. <laughs> I also like that courtrooms in the 2070s took inspiration from Jerry Springer. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I also, I also, again, I, I cannot, I cannot stress this enough. There is no universe, even if you're holding people responsibility for the crimes of their species, Data is completely innocent. Yeah, he, <laughs> he's as as I don't, I, I don't even know how old he is. I know he's gone through Starfleet and he's done all the courses, but he could have done them in like a week. Mm. So, like, data could only be, like, four, right? We have no no frame of reference for this. I was Although we, hoping we know he, he gets would... older. No. Well, we, we know he gets older. Yeah. And when I say I know he gets older, what I mean is Brent Spiner is still playing him. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't, I don't know. I think with this, like, because it's established, like, he was created by... Um, God, I can't remember the guy's name. He'll appear later, but he was created by a scientist. It's Noonan Singh, because it's the um, same surname yeah. as Khan, but I don't know if they're yeah. connected. I can't... I don't know if I've ever found that out. There are, there, there, there are likely people who are listening to this who know much more about Star Trek than we what do, who are currently right. screaming. <laughs> but, yeah, and he created him, he created Law, and he created a third one that's not put together in a cupboard somewhere. Yeah. Um, and... All I I know that like he's a really really he at this point is dead, but also just because Star Trek stuff you see him later on yeah um and he's very very old but I don't know because he didn't give birth to Data I don't know if like Data has been like he might Data like I say Data could have been created last Tuesday but I we have no fucking clue yeah um and it, also I like the fact that Tasha Yar just gets frozen solid um, I wrote is this the best take of Tasha being frozen. <laughs> Because <laughs> she's full floppy, yeah. she's 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 frozen and she falls backwards. And Mark, these days, if you were doing that, you'd clearly get a quick resin three D print of Tashi R in a frozen thing so it could fall over, yep, uh, completely. Maybe have an hand come off so you could show off the the, the the sick bay later. But no, 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 no. They just spray her with fake snow <laughs> and <laughs> ask her to fall over. <laughs> Anyway, um, as part of this fair, there's a fair trial that takes place, and um, uh, Q orders guns to be pointed at the crew's head and then to be shot. <laughs> Any word other than guilty comes out of them. <laughs> <laughs> so Picard, what is it? Picard pleads guilty provisionally. Yeah. Uh, right. Um, and then, oh, okay, Data does a thing that he literally never does again when he then plays back the recordings of the court. And he does the voices of Picard and of um, Q, but also while he's doing that, his lips are moving. Yeah. Which he, so, but what can't he just open his mouth and play this from whatever speaker he's got? Well, here's what I have to say about that: is the reason <laughs> that Data never does it again is because they discovered on that day that Brent Spiner isn't very good at lip syncing. <laughs> um. Yeah, so uh, with uh, I will point out as well, right? Okay, that this in, in this whole area is basically decided by Q. Farpoint is going to be the test. 
to see whether or not the human race is worth keeping around. Which, you know, I would have preferred get being given the chance as the human race to choose a representative. Yeah. Um, also, this is Starfleet, which represents a myriad of different worlds, but apparently it's just humans on trial. Oh, any, uh, anyway, I, I will point out that if at this point, if this is the encounter, right, the encounter doesn't happen at Star at Farpoint. It's an encounter and then Farpoint. Yep. So the, the episode name's wrong. Well, maybe it was encounter at Farpoint, uh, like an email address. <laughs> encounter at Farpoint dot space. Yeah. Um, so okay, and then yeah, uh, yeah, that's 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 the the first thirty minutes basically of the episode is a lot of setup and not introducing several very important characters. I have a question so far. Okay. Why is Picard such a dick? Um, I I, didn't really remember this, and most of the Star Trek I have seen from later, Picard is, in my mind, the best captain. Yeah. But he's such a dick in this. Yeah, he is. Um, Bear in mind that they're in a very peculiar situation, and all of the crew is on board with him being in this peculiar situation. But surely... A captain's number one job should be, if you find yourself in a peculiar situation, keep your head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's plenty of points where Tasha Yar's like, I'll let's shoot him. And he's like, you want to... And instead of saying, no, I think that would be a bad idea. He's like, Tasha, he's like, you want to start a fight with what is essentially God? You fucking stupid. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like, no, she's your security officer. She likes shooting things with weapons. That's literally her fucking job. You chose her and a Klingon for your bridge crew. What the fuck? Jesus. He would have chosen these people, specifically. Um, you assume. But, and then he's very standoffish yeah. to, to Riker later. Yeah. What an well, asshole. To, yeah. Um, I've got written down in my notes here. The next thing that happens is Riker shows up and for some reason is on a D&D map with Hero Forge furniture. Because uh, <laughs> he's like in a dark blank... Ca- Riker turns up and he's clearly in... It doesn't look like he's in an episode of Star Trek. No. He's in like a, a, a like an earthen cave. Yeah, that yeah that leads into uh, this guy's room. Uh, what's, that, what's the guy's name? Something oh, like Gropler Gropler Zorn. Gropler Zorn. Okay, at the beginning of the episode in the credits, this guy is credited as just Zorn, yep. which means Gropler is an official title in his people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'd like to believe that at some point there was like a vote Zorn for Gropler. <laughs> <laughs> Is there uh, well two two notes I had about that scene? Number one, um, is there something to Starfleet people or Star Trek characters eating apples? Yeah, because there I is don't... there is there is James T. Kirk always eats an apple, or he's it's not always, but he's known for eating an apple in important yeah. scenes. Um, and to me, the the reason that that that, that came about is because Riker is, su- I guess, supposed to be the next generation's Jim Kirk. Yeah, yeah. The, I think the plan was to, you have your, your diplomat, Picard, as the captain. Yeah. And the idea was that Riker was going to be the guy who went on the away missions and slept with the green space women. Yeah. Uh, we- or, if this whole gamble didn't work out, you can kill off Picard promote Riker and do like a traditional Star Trek show. I think that was kind of their thinking. I think you may be right, because there's 
clues, to me at least, in the story and the, the way that the narrative is framed, that Riker may have been the main character yeah. of the show. Yeah. But they, do, they don't bring him in until nearly yeah. the second episode, essentially. Yeah, which is, yeah, it's it's also worth noting that the fruit, that uh, the apple that Riker um, uh, eats did appear from nowhere. Yeah. Which would suggest that it's some sort of evil fruit. So I'll just yeah. that's just um, I I also so so Riker then comes to to the Enterprise. Oh, before that. Oh, sorry. Go on. Before that, on on the station, Riker attempts very clumsily to flirt with Doctor Beverly Crusher. Hey. Uh, um, all I've got written there is um, I've got written down Beverly Crusher is here, the only person who has fully realised their character at this point, and I've just put. <laughs> Sadly, Wesley is also here. <laughs> <laughs> I put, uh, did Dr. Beverly Crusher start fancying Picard when he brought her husband's dead body home to her? <laughs> or was that later? I also like to point out as well, so I've got written down, is that Wesley is instantly a cunt. Like, it's not like he turns up and he's slightly annoying. He turns up and immediately is like to Riker, he's like, oh, sorry about my mum, she's shy about new people. <laughs> Uh, it's just, it means to be cold and standoffish. And it's like, fucking wind your neck in child. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, Wesley, to me, I, I, I'll be honest. Wesley is a character who grows on me. I, I actually quite like Wesley by the end. I, I would want to clarify. I, I, first of all, I think Will Wheaton is the man. Oh, he's uh, top lad. And, uh, top lad. Um, and Wesley Crusher is, uh, Wesley Crusher has the, down, has, his downfall is that he is the focus of a lot of episodes in season one. Yeah. Which are just bad, and as a result, he comes across as just bad. But he's also in some really great episodes later on when the writers were better. It's also uh, very indicative of an issue that a lot of TV shows had in the nineties, uh, which is that they wanted kids to watch, but they, yeah. but these people who were born, as you say, in the in the twenties <laughs> and thirties, didn't think that children would be interested in watching a show that wasn't about other children. So they have to bring in a kid's eye view, but the problem is the kid's eye view character is almost always insufferable. I didn't, yeah, I, I don't want to be Wesley. I want to be, I wish I was a lot more like Picard, but I want to be like Riker. No one, no kid is watching this going, I wish I was Wesley. No, hu- no kid is watching Transformers and thinking, oh man, I wish I was that human boy. No. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be, I want to be Hot Rod. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to be a robot that turns into a car. What about it? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Because they did this in everything. Like there's like a little kid in like the, like Buck Rogers in the 25th century. And like all of them did this. And you're right. Every single one of them is an insufferable wanker. Yeah. Um, uh, also, I've, I've got to say from the way things are worded, Right. I'm just going to put this out there. Did Picard murder Crusher's husband? <laughs> it's like what's said is he came back with his body, which doesn't fit with any official like Star Trek like Starfleet rules that are later established. They tend to have funerals in space. Did he just turn up one day with a corpse, drop it down, and he goes, "Ah, oh, so it happened to you, your husband now." Oh, I'm, somehow my knife's got in him. Uh, <laughs> 1987. <laughs> Gates McFadden as Dr. Beverly Crusher yeah. is yeah. so fit yeah. that given the chance, 
I too would murder her husband if it gave me a better shot of getting with her. So I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I, I don't think, if you've never watched classic Star Trek, I don't think we can do a good enough job of explaining how hot Beverly Crusher is. Yeah. <laughs> it's... It's like she's a different fucking species. The show, like she... <laughs> the show desperately wants you to fancy Diana Troy, which, to be fair, uh, Marina Sirtis, you know, I, 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 sorry that as two straight white men we have descended into speaking about how fucking attractive the women characters in this show are, but but the, the show desperately wants you to, to fancy Diana Troy, um, yeah. and I, and I, I, I think they've 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 not realized like how I, th- I think maybe it came about at the because it came out at the same time as the little mermaid when a lot of little boys were suddenly discovering how much they love redheads and then this show is putting in a cool smart fun momish redhead which you know yeah I, isn't my number if, one type but it's up there i think if we're gonna look star trek is a very progressive show overall and i think if we're gonna do this. We have to call out when it's fucking not. Yeah. So let's just address this. There are three female characters in this show at this point. One is blonde, one is brunette, one is a redhead. And if you think for a moment that wasn't a deliberate decision by Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> yeah. If you don't know anything about Gene Roddenberry. He that was <laughs> He was a, yeah, a bit of a pest. Yeah. There there's also that thing of the three female characters all have wildly different styles. Even yeah. just of clothing. Did you know... We might we will likely get into this in a later episode, but the original uniforms for the Next Generation Starfleet were like a one-piece spandex that was yeah. incredibly uncomfortable. And at one point, Patrick Stewart was told by his doctor that if he continues to wear it, he's going to give himself permanent back problems. So they decided in the third season to turn that into a two-piece uh, spandex set which worked a lot better apart from all the female characters who were all forced to wear the one piece because it fit their figures a lot better so yeah star trek isn't perfect it is a bit problematic but it's yeah. a lot more progressive i think than even you know some shows these days what the fuck yeah. are we talking about before we fell into that hole right, of um, having to explain yeah. ourselves because we were like um, beverly crusher's the- pretty fit the next part I've got in my notes is just that Riker gets to be the first person to beam up in the next generation. Yeah, uh, he gets he gets a full on beam up, and then like you, I've just got written here. Picard is kind of a dick to Riker, yeah, for little or no reason. I have written um, down. Um, it's a good thing that they had a copy of Encounter at Farpoint to show uh, Riker on the telly. <laughs> right. I, I have I have literally Riker has showed a copy of the episode. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it has. It's like you couldn't use B-roll from the other cameras for fuck's sake. <laughs> right, okay. So basically what we're talking about is Riker sits down. Uh, so Tasha Yar says, I'll catch you up on what's happened. And rather than using that as as the way that it's normally used, which is as a, as a, as a narrative device to say, off screen, I am going to catch this character up so that we don't have to explain to him what is going on in the plot. Instead... Tasha Yar sits him down on a chair in the bridge, turns on an <laughs> iPad on the screen that literally just shows scenes from not only the previous episode, from literally still the episode we are currently watching. 
the the thing is, what's really annoying about this is if Riker had realised what was going on, he could have fast forwarded to the end of the episode and worked out what was going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then and then they put the ship back together, mm-hmm. um, which Riker does manually for some fucking reason. Um, it's because Picard this, wants to test them because he's a I, dick. I'm gonna I'm gonna use a phrase that I feel I'm gonna use a lot throughout this podcast, and it's probably gonna become a running thing. Data should be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's make that a segment, right? So from for, for all the episodes from later on, because I I have an idea for a segment later, which is is this a good episode of Star Trek? But I'll, I'll explain more about what that means when we okay. get to that section. But the other segment should be what are all the things in this episode that Data should have done instead? <laughs> right. Okay. Absolutely. And I've also got that here. So then, then Picard and Riker have tea at a really big table, and it's important to note that, that at this point they are on a Starfleet mission. Picard has just taken command of this vessel. He is meeting his first officer for the first time, and he has just had an encounter with a being that is essentially a space god that is threatening. The human race with either total destruction or confining them to Earth forever. But none of that is as important to Picard as letting Riker know that he fucking hates kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wrote here. So, despite being second, so so, the, what happens is that Picard brings Riker in and he says, "You're very highly recommended. I'm looking forward to working with you." Now. Starfleet have, for some reason, uh, put me on a ship that has a lot of children on it, and I don't like children. (laughs) So your job is to keep me looking genial. And I wrote, so despite being second in command, Riker's apparent main job on the Enterprise is to not make Picard look like an asshole to the kids. So... You know, it's later established in like some of the episodes that the um, Starfleet have access to drugs that can wipe your memory mm-hmm. of the last like little period. And how much of Riker's job is just putting that drug in the mouths of kids that Picard <laughs> has just hit? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. Okay. The thing I want to talk about that happens in the next scene because it's it's something I've literally never noticed before. Right. Right. And it's fucked up. Okay. The next bit is we get the scene that explains that Geordie is blind. Yep. And his visor lets him see. But what they also mention, very briefly, and it's kind of skimmed over, is that the visor also causes Geordie to be in constant pain. Now, um, to get into some of my own backstory uh, on this, um, I've, got a, I've got a tumour on my inner ear um, that presses against my brain, and I have to take medication to stop that from happening. Um, and for about a solid seven months, I had a headache for seven months. The fact that Geordie doesn't spend most of his time just crying <laughs> is a testament to the man's iron will. It is, it's casual, just so casually mentioned, oh yeah, I'm in constant pain. Right, it, we're not going to bring that up or ever mention it again. Just to have that in the back of your head, Geordie is in constant physical pain all the way through Star Trek. And also, the visor... It doesn't work the same way as the human eye. It doesn't let him see the way that we see. He essentially kind of sees the way that Daredevil sees mixed yeah. with Predator. So yeah. for his constant, constant migraine, he doesn't even get very good vision. 
He doesn't even get to close his eyes. No. And have it be dark. <laughs> and to, to kind of meta game for a bit as well. It, it, once again, it isn't until I believe the third season that they create a visor that the actor LeVar Burton can even see out of. So in a lovely ironic twist, the actor playing Jordy is blind playing a blind man who can see. Yeah. Yeah. Sort it's, of. You, uh, can yeah. see. It's the, it's the reason why Geordie doesn't have the visor in the movies. Yeah. It's because LeVar Burton refused to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and LeVar Burton uh, can do whatever he wants. That man taught an entire generation of children to appreciate literature. If that yeah. guy doesn't want to wear a painful, blinding <laughs> visor for your amusement, fine. And the worst <laughs> you thing is, you can wear painful take... contact lenses, Lavar. Know okay. your when role. He takes, when he takes the visor off, right in this scene, he's got like two little implants either side of his eyes with like LEDs going, yeah. and his eyes are whited over using like a contact. Yeah, that would have been fine. <laughs> yeah, if we could, you could tell us that the little. Little LEDs are the scanners. I don't know what a scanner in fucking Star Trek looks like. You could yeah. because also um, it's not Im- it's not immediately apparent what the visor actually does, <laughs> unless you watch the first episode where they explain that he uses it because he's blind. You might think he uses it to look cool. <laughs> it's not like anyone constantly comes around and goes, "Hey, Jordy, how's blindness going for you?" And he's like, it's what? fine, this visor gives me about 10% vision and 90% headache. I, I do like the fact that one thing that we, is, is good about Star Trek is that Geordie isn't just the blind character. Because yep. as we will find out later on, his defining characteristic is that he's an incel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, he thinks just because he got on well with a hologram of a woman, the real woman deserves him se- like owes him sex. Yep. So... Uh, Fucking Geordie. Oh. Um, I've, all I've got here is um, McCoy turns up now from the original series. Yep. And th- and uh, I wrote, this scene is wonderful. And then my next sentence is, oh, McCoy's done a racism. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote, did Bones leave the Enterprise to become a fancy talking lawyer? Boy, what am I doing? Why, did he- why is he using a completely different accent? Like, it hasn't been that long. It, it hasn't even been that long since he played fucking Bones in the Undiscovered Country. There's still there's still more Star Trek movies to come out. Yeah. <laughs> he is currently playing Bones at this point. <laughs> Why does he have a different voice? I love his space cardigan that I've got written down there. <laughs> he's, it's, it's, it's definitely... Uh, it's only thing. Yeah, but anyway, he's like, yeah, like he meets Data, and we, get it, we have it explained that Data's an android. Uh, and... Uh, McCoy is like, you're not a Vulcan, thank God. I ate them. Yeah, <laughs> Can't even say you're human these days. <laughs> if you do, they'll put you in jail. Put you in the brig. <laughs> if you even say you're human. Yeah, but this is basically a scene in which one of the previous cast of Star Trek turns up to go, no, this is real Star Trek, stop complaining. Yeah. To, to people in, like, 1989. That's, yeah, it's a lovely scene. It's a genuinely great moment. I'm always, I'm always, so I'm going to correct you there and say that this came out in 1987, because... The last holdout of Star Trek fan who was mani- who managed to get this way through the episode. Um, <laughs> when you said that Star Trek: The Next Generation came out in 1989, that would have been the straw that broke the camel's back that would have made him turn off. Okay, yeah, it came out in 80s. Uh, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter when it came out. 
It's about the fucking stories. Set yeah. in the future, dickhead. <laughs> yeah, fuck you. Who cares? I was going to, I would, I didn't have time to write it down, but I was going to attempt to try and write down the star dates and see if they make any fucking sense. <laughs> oh, uh, so apparently Next Generation is when they start making sense at some point. Oh, okay. But in the originals, they literally just left it up to whatever freelance scriptwriter was writing that week to just write a random series of numbers. Oh, God, there's a, there's a line in one of the Star Trek movies where they say you're the only ship in the quadrant. Yeah. It's like that. That's literally a quarter of the galaxy. How is that? <laughs> so, at one point, um, so after Riker watches the first episode of Encounter at Farpoint, he stands up and he says, he calls that a little adventure. And then I said, why doesn't Picard reply, wait till we tell you about us having to do an old-timey courtroom drama? <laughs> Which Picard never tells him. That's a fair point. Yeah, he's only got the act one of Q's play. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, this is also. Oh yeah. F- this. Uh, Sorry, go on. This is where this is where Riker and Troy bump into each other, and that we find out that they've got a past because they do a telepathy. Yeah. And she calls him some weird name that I've never. I've seen this scene so many times, and I've never been able to remember what the fuck it is. But it's some weird Betazoid pet name or something, I don't know. Is it Picard that's standing next to them while this is happening? Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, well, they because have a sexy psychic They have a sexy telepathic conversation that lasts about 30 seconds. So yeah. is, from Picard's perspective, are these two quite handsome people just staring at each other for half a minute with like literally well, their jaws open and their eyes making movements? Uh, I what think does he think is going on? I think it sets things up nicely, because I think Riker probably does that every time an attractive woman walks into the room. <laughs> just stares at them straight for a good 30 seconds, probably licking his lips. <laughs> <laughs> I, I reckon Riker is basically... Yeah, Riker is basically responsible for 90% of HR complaints on board the Enterprise. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, yeah, we're back to... But yeah, Troy does that telepathy, and then... Then I've got Picard makes it awkward. <laughs> and then... So... This is where the episode gets a bit weird. Because simultaneously they're supposed to be dealing with the problem. But also they've got a lot of shit on board the Enterprise they want to introduce you to. Yeah. So so like you've got like Zorn trying to like having arguments with Star- Starfleet. But at the same time, Riker's just being impressed by, like I say, impressed by an Alexa. Uh, Which, to be fair, in 1987, I would have been very impressed by. Yeah. Um, and then the holodeck turns up, which shaves a solid 20% off the shooting budget for future episodes. <laughs> Does the the holodeck never appears in the original series, right? It, it appeared in the animated series. Right. Okay. Interesting. Uh, which is... Um, which is um, it's, it's not a very good version of the holodeck, and it appears... It's, it's installed... On the Enterprise, some point. But here's the thing: nobody's sure if the animated series counts. Yeah, because certain writers like it and certain writers don't. So either the events of it didn't happen, but also certain events from it definitely did because they've been referenced in other shows. Yeah, it, no one's really sure. I'm fine. That's with when it. the holiday. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I, I liked it. I, I think that was the only Star Trek I liked when I was a kid. Yeah, that's that's perfectly fair. It was really, it was actually really good. Yeah. Um, Let's uh, not for now, because obviously we, we're running a double parter here. I feel like how the fuck does the holodeck work 
is going to be something that we'll get into in much greater detail in later holodeck episodes. Yeah, yeah, no, we will because that's there's there's some there's some stuff in this straight off the bat. A rock bounces off the holodeck wall, even though I'm certain that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah, and it. And Wesley gets wet, and then he walks out of the holodeck, but that's holographic water and shouldn't be real, unless the replicators are making the... Any- I think that's yeah. what's happening. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it later. My question about when he falls in the water is, why does the water have depth if it can't possibly be lower than the holodeck floor? But anyway, again, yeah. we'll, oh. we'll, 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 we'll cross this this holographic bridge when we come to it <laughs> and hopefully yeah. not fall off into an infinite amount of space containing water. <laughs> Yeah, um, I've also got in this section again. Uh, Riker, it's now his turn to do a racism um, <laughs> yeah. when he, he tells Data that he's not comfortable with him being an android. Which one, even if you're not, don't say it to his fucking face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bring that up with Picard. He'll set you straight. Yeah, um, and two, why? Uh, here's here's what bothers me about this. Right, it seems that everybody meeting Data. Is like this is the first t- they've heard of him. Yeah, but like, imagine there was a real android on Earth now, who was like going to school and shit. Right? He, everyone would know about him. Yeah, it would be. It's like, is there known? Because because until the advent of Deep Space Nine, we don't meet Deep Space Nine is when we meet the first reporter in the history of Star Trek because it's Jake Sisko's kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Jake Sisko. So I don't. Is there is there literally no news? If I'm on Earth and I'm not in Starfleet, do I have fucking no clue what's going on? So there's, there's a, I'm, I'm going to do the cardinal <laughs> sin of podcasting and reference another much better podcast. Right. There is an episode of the Cracked podcast where uh, Cracked contributor Jason Pargin, aka David Wong, made a point that I think is so clever that I constantly try to bring it into conversation and no one gives a fuck. Which they were talking about, I, I think they were talking about 9-11 and the, the, the news response to 9-11 and why it's been 20 years and we're still talking about it. And he says, well, you know what? Yeah, 3,000 people died, right? But here's the thing. 3,000 people die over in, say, Syria today, no one cares, right? Because that happens all the time. 3,000 people died on 9-11 because planes crashed into a building in America. That is incredibly unlikely, and that's why we're still talking about it. The more unlikely something is, the more people will talk about it. If tomorrow, at, say, a wedding in Tallahassee, a portal to another dimension opened up and an ungodly tentacle reached out, grabbed someone and took it back into the portal with them, that would be the only thing that anyone would talk about for the next 100 years, regardless of whether it ever happened again or not. All of our defence money would be spent on protecting us from portal, ten- uh, portal tentacle monsters, even though, demonstrably, this is, the sa- this is the thing in the universe we are safest from. So I agree. Yeah. It's madness that, that I artificial humanoid is not the fucking thing that everyone talks about all the time. Hey, have you heard about that guy who's a robot? Like, <laughs> of course you'd be talking yeah. about it. Yeah, it'd be, like, you would imagine they would have had him on, like, Jeopardy. 
Like, like if like if TV or any form of entertainment is a thing, like nobody even nobody at any point turns up to just interview Data and be like, "You're an android. What's that like?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unless unless he right. Here's here's my um here's my take on it. I think that someone probably did, and he went, "What's it like being an android?" And he goes, "Well, using logic." I've only ever been an android, and I don't know what it's like to be you, so I can't explain to you what it's like to be me that's different enough from being you that you would be able to report on that. And the reporter went, fine. And that was the article. <laughs> and, then, and then everyone everyone in every bar is like, did you hear about that guy who's a robot? And they go, yeah, he just seems a bit boring. See, this is the thing. I, I, would, I wouldn't mind this so much. If it wasn't for the fact that it happens again in Deep Space Nine, where the security officer is a shapeshifter, which again is utterly unique within the universe, there's only one of him. They don't know where he's come from. There's no how. How is that not the only thing he lives in? Like, how is that not the only thing anybody coming to yeah. that station wants to talk about? Yeah, do you know what's really <laughs> weird? I, I don't know if this is just a thing of like me being super uh, self-involved, but I would love to have data as a friend yeah. because your opinions would matter so much more because he <laughs> isn't able to have opinions on things like the way that we do so he'd be like well why do you think like that i'll be like oh my god well thank you for asking data <laughs> uh so anyway back in 1997 uh, a lot of people voted for tony blair uh blah blah <laughs> yeah just the ability to be able to go to data i'm going to show you ghostbusters this is one of the greatest movies ever made <laughs> and then have him go why is this one of the greatest movies ever made well data i cannot express how glad i am that you yeah. that anyone has finally asked me that question <laughs> and will and, and you are not you are not it is not possible for you to get bored with my answer <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, strap in because ghostbusters <laughs> is a two hour long movie and for the next three hours i am going to explain to you how ghostbusters is a film about nothing <laughs> And you wouldn't have think that this was five hours wasted. I am gonna I am gonna explain to you how a movie in which people discover definitive proof of the afterlife, but is actually a movie about starting a small business. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna to explain to you about how a comedy movie works when none of the characters grow or learn in any way, <laughs> which should not be possible. <laughs> Oh. oh man, <laughs> I'd love to have a yeah. data friend. <laughs> I think it would be the best. I might just start talking to my Alexa. <laughs> no, no, you see, no, don't do oh, that. Yeah, learn, we'll get, yeah, we'll get Skynetted. Um, <laughs> Imagine Skynet um, took over and sent out all the Terminators, and a Terminator just showed up to your door and went, "You have five minutes to explain to me why you don't like Ghostbusters 2 even though it's basically the same film." <laughs> and you're like, no, it's the same plot. It's not the same. Fuck you. And then it, and then it executes you. That's the test. <laughs> Can you calmly explain why Ghostbusters Two isn't very good? That's the Turing test, isn't it? It's like, can a robot convince you it's human in a conversation? It's like, all that robot needs to do is have one movie opinion. It's willing to argue to the death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Like this program, it's like it's a normal computer, but it thinks that the fourth Indiana Jones movie has some merits. Right? Okay. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Ah, you're right. It, it, it was just nice to have Indy back and see it in the cinema. Ah, fair enough. You are a person. Here's your social security number. Right. Um, I've got. We should get back to my notes for the episode. I've just got written down after the holodeck scene. Wesley continues to be unbearable. Yep. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he says to Captain. Sorry, uh, Doctor Crusher. Uh, he says, "Oh, they also have a low gravity gymnasium." And I wrote, "Wouldn't a low gravity gymnasium be the opposite of what you want?" Yeah. Like, because yeah, that just makes weights lighter. I, I thought about this right. If I lived on board the Enterprise, I would set the gravity in my quarters to one point two. Yeah, so would I. Yeah, yeah, just so like, I'd get jacked just by doing nothing. You'd, I mean, you, <laughs> you'd become five foot seven after a while, but it's the future, well, and uh, women don't care about that anymore. So who? So whatever, or guys, uh, whatever. It's, it's a free yeah. for all. Men in skirts, do what you want. It doesn't matter if. It, it, here's the thing, right? Okay. What do you think the Starfleet well, version of Tinder is? It's just the holodeck. Why would I bother talking to a real woman when the holodeck exists? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's hard. It's difficult. You've got to put some effort in. The holodeck, that there is a... There's the guy who wrote, um, created the Dilbert comic strip is a terrible human being. Oh, he did once say something. He did once say something that is completely true, which is the holodeck would be the last human invention. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I have a computer simulation that's basically as good as reality and can, can meet all of my possible needs. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll go, no, I want to go do something. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> I can barely motivate myself to do something with a PlayStation as my only distraction. What the fucking chance yeah. do I have? Oh. Here's, my, here's an interesting question for you. If you were playing Dungeons & Dragons in the holodeck, do you play as your characters or do you just have a really good table? <laughs> <laughs> where you can put the like the models down and like everything like pop up the map i i mean if you if you're if you're genuinely asking i think i would want the latter um because i i think a big part of 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 role playing games for me ironically is not playing the role it's kind of being the strategist who decides my role so yeah. i i don't think i would want i i think i would want to say make this happen i would want to be a director more than an actor yeah um but i don't want to be a dungeon master because i have no interest in extra work so we need to basically get matt mercer from critical roles brain copied by a computer for staff track yeah purposes right done um so yeah this is the point we, we're now into like the last like last third of the episode i guess yeah and this is where they realize that they've not actually dealt with the plot <laughs> <laughs> so so Troy, Tashiar, and LaForge go uh, go on one split up on go one way, and Data and Riker go the other. And at this point, something that will become an ongoing problem in Star Trek happens, which is that Troy is too psychic to actually be useful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, she. This is this is about the third time in the episode that Troy has cried due to her psychic abilities, and also. Because she is a woman written by men. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> uh, I've just got that spooky shit happens. Uh, yeah, Pakel doesn't want kids on the bridge, but lets Wesley on uh, because he wants to fuck his mother. Yep. Um, and then again, I've just written Christ Wesley is a tool bag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
he gets to sit in the chair like a little fucking prick. Um, right. <laughs> I think we've told That's... this story on the podcast before, but it is one of my genuinely favourite stories. <laughs> Someone once asked uh, Sir Patrick Stewart, who, by the way, delivers this entire episode as if it is Shakespeare. Yeah, he's amazing. He's better than the show deserves at this point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then the, sh- the show catches up to him, and it is Jeff Kiss. Uh, so he uh, is. T- he told a story once about the time that he met Neil Armstrong, or he Neil Armstrong came to the set of the Next Generation, and Neil Armstrong, observing correct protocol, asked Sir Patrick Stewart's permission to sit in the captain's chair as the captain, and then, <laughs> and then Stewart said, "Buzz Aldrin just went for it." <laughs> Last time, the last time Buzz asked for permission for anything, he didn't get to be first person on the moon. So now, on he's just in the forgiveness asking mode. I'm going to do it. Do you know what? I, that's my head cannon. Ah, oh, fucking, I fucking love Buzz Aldrin. I think he might be my favourite living person. Yeah, yeah. Other no, than I, 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 my girlfriend and that and my parents. Yeah, yeah, no, no yeah, yeah. Excluding people I actually know. It's <laughs> yeah. So amazing. Um, uh, oh, okay. So another ship shows up. And it's fucking massive, which is... As they say it's massive. It might just be... They might have just put it closer to the camera. Uh, and, <laughs> um, and it, it does a big purple scan. And then it starts firing on the abandoned city next to Farpoint. And at this point, to anyone who's ever watched an episode of fucking Star Trek, <laughs> what is going on is painfully fucking obvious. <laughs> <laughs> to the point where I, I feel like watching back the, like, the, the ship recordings of... Kirk's missions should be like um, so here's a because they obviously have that because Riker can yeah. just sit down and choose season 3 episode 4 <laughs> yeah here's, so here's a genuine question I have about being in Starfleet is the wacky science fiction bullshit that happens consistently to the people on board the Enterprise is it weird that that keeps happening to them and it's like that's why they're the flagship they go where the weird stuff is or is this consistently happening Across all of the starship vessels, <laughs> I so I think it's consistent, and the reason is that again, uh, Patrick Stewart was once on the Infinite Monkey Cage podcast, and when Professor Brian Cox asked him why do we never see the episodes where the Enterprise encounters a planet that maybe doesn't have anything interesting happening on it, and <laughs> Patrick Stewart says, "Well, we just just didn't show those episodes." <laughs> It's a bit like um, the, the, the people get incredulous. They're like, come on, Scully, it's season eight of the X-Files. Why do you not <laughs> believe Mulder at this point? My defense has always been, well, we only see the times when it is a paranormal thing. <laughs> 90% of the time, Scully is correct. So, And that's just the standard uh, like money laundering schemes that Mulder and Scully have to deal with on a, on like a Monday to Thursday basis. This this isn't an X Files podcast, but I do need to bring up it is it, like Mulder doesn't like rationally ever argue his case. <laughs> he he <laughs> every point he makes the decision to act in the most psychopathic way available and just does shit that just yeah. It's, the reason Scully doesn't listen to Mulder is because go back and listen to Mulder. <laughs> <laughs> so right, I I have written here uh, these phasers are rubbish. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'll give you that. They should be destroying the shit out of that abandoned city. No, I mean the actual oh. design. Like, oh, it's right. like a TV remote. How the fuck oh, yeah. are you meant to aim that with any precision? Yeah. Like, the, like we've we've had the gun design for centuries, and it works. Why did yeah. why did and they had the gun phasers in in TOS, and yeah. I think they were great. I wonder was it a thing of Gene Roddenberry's to, to kind of be like, let's make this a bit less gung-ho and have the phasers be a bit more pacifist almost. Yeah, I, I can see that because when you get into later after Roddenberry's like death, yeah. you get into like like Deep Space Nine had to Dominion War and everybody's walking around with phasers that are essentially assault rifles. Yeah, 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 totally. Uh, yeah. So yeah, they're not, I think that was, that sounds like a Roddenberry thing. Like, he had some weird things. He didn't think zips should exist. Yeah. He also <laughs> um, insisted that by the time we get to the 23rd century, inter-person problems will not exist anymore. So issues between work colleagues simply won't exist, which is surprising because Picard is an absolute prick in this episode to everyone. <laughs> So yeah. what I think he means is everyone will just do what the captain says at all times, no yeah. matter how big a knob he is. It, it's, uh, it's easy for Gene Roddenberry to have had that opinion as the executive producer of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> if only everybody would do exactly what I said they should do, everything would be fine, but they won't. <laughs> That's... Jesus. Um, uh, so, yeah, uh, I've got... Like, um, uh, they fire on the, the the other ship shows up and it fires on the abandoned city and Picard ignores requests for help because, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and orders an illegal kidnapping. He literally says um, the words illegal kidnapping. Yeah, he says this is an illegal kidnapping. I'm going to order you. Someone brings up the Prime Directive, which has no relevance to this point. Nope. Because <laughs> they don't even know. To, to be clear, if you don't know, the Prime Directive is you don't, if a, if a civilization hasn't developed the warp engine, you're not allowed to fuck around. You're not allowed to talk to them. But they're here. They're already talking to these people. So presumably they've got a warp engine. And I also keep mentioning that the Ferengis eat people, which is just not true from what we learn of the Ferengis later on. So it's just a horrible racist stereotype. Picard's one, Picard's one step away from saying that the fucking Ferengis all come from Bongo Bongo land. Uh, <laughs> and, they, and, they, and they're in charge of all the money. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> um... um so, just to be clear, just so so if you do need clarification on this, if you've never watched Steep Space Nine, I can sum this up. Um, the Ferengi, they're space Jews, but they're bad. And the Bajorans are space Jews, but they're good. So that's... Yeah, the Bajorans <laughs> were almost like an apology for the rampant anti Semitism that is the portrayal of the Ferengi. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> um Yeah, Q, just so Q turns up. Uh is as kind of a dick. Um, uh, but Picard wants to. Picard at this point has pretty much worked out what's going on. And in, ca- in case you didn't work it out, it's, it's it's such an obvious Star Trek plot. The 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 Farpoint Station is actually a life form. It's the same life form as the big ship. They dump a load of energy into the one on the planet. It comes up. They both turn into space jellyfish, and fuck off. Standard plot textbook. Standard standard textbook Star Trek. Um, which takes everybody involved way too long to work out. Troy cries again, but but I've got I've written here. Troy cries again, but at least she's in fucking uniform. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and then one of my all time favourite moments 
Uh, Q is ordered to leave the Enterprise and then does, but only because he was going to leave anyway, and then immediately comes back to prove his point. <laughs> Here's my question. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of hinted at this earlier. What actually makes a good Star Trek episode? Okay. And I have written three arguably four criteria that make a good Star Trek episode for me, which is one, big questions. Okay. Two, exploration of the human condition through metaphor. And three, quality bits of captaining or tactics. Like a nice like a nice Picard's keeping things close to his chest. And no one can figure out why. And then when he when you find out, you're like, oh, that's a that's a top bit of captain, and that is, yeah. That's to me. That's the three things that go into a really good Star Trek episode. Yeah, and I will say that's separate from what I would say makes a quintessential Star Trek episode. Because because to me, a quintessential Star Trek episode has one of three things, mm-hmm. which is um, something is making the crew act weird, something has seized control of the Enterprise. And the third one is, these Romulans can't be trusted. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, but, is, but, is this a quintessential Star Trek episode? It has, a, it, has, it, has a, it has another classic Star Trek, which is the being we can't possibly understand. Yeah. Um, and it has that twice, because it has Q as well. Um, as to yours, does it have a good... It, does it, it have a big question? I suppose it has the big question of if a space jellyfish lands on your planet and is hurt, is it okay to enslave it? <laughs> I, I think, yeah, that is a joke, but I, I think that is like an interesting point. Like, do, do you have, as sentient beings, do you have the right to turn a being that has a type of sentience that you don't understand into an asset? Yeah, and it is a fair question, because no. you, yeah. you could do that, because it's not like it's something we, as a species, haven't actually done. Yeah, exactly. I, like, I don't understand... Whales, yeah. Like we like there's there's we've done a lot of very intelligent animals that we've done very horrible things to, but it's fine because we're smarter than them. Yeah. So so it it does qualify that. Does it have any quality bits of captaining? I would argue no. No, <laughs> I, argue I, I agree. Throughout this episode, Picard is a dick. He doesn't even manage to eloquently argue the case for humanity against Q. Like by the end of it, I'm like, yeah, Q's got a point. Yeah. Um. Like you, you literally, he turns up. Like I say, he turns up and accuses you of being too warlike, and your first response is arm the photon torpedoes, uh, rather than like, I'll oh, turn off the engines, turn off the shields. How are we warlike? Do what you want. That's what. I- <laughs> the only thing that even comes close to a good bit of captaining is the separation of the saucer section from the battle bridge, which yeah. you think is done to save the three hundred lives on that starship. But then, as we're told later on, Picard don't give a fuck about any of the kids on that starship. <laughs> He's just doing it. A, to make Worf look bad, and yeah. B, because they had spent a lot of money on that gimmick and needed to put it in the pilot. Yeah, and also, weirdly, it does establish that Riker is a very good pilot, yeah. which will be very important, I think, in six seasons. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, 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 the thing is, I... For an episode that has to do a lot, yeah, because with doing a new Star Trek, 
they're not doing if you're not doing a direct sequel to the classic series, you have a lot of extra stuff. Like you didn't have a ship's computer. Something else we forgot to fucking mention actually. At one point in this movie, at one point in this fucking episode, because they're worried, he's worried that Q's listening into their communications. He demands that all communications throughout the ship be done by printout, right? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even got a printer, and it's only twenty twenty. What? What? The- <laughs> I have a printer, right? And if I don't use my printer for three weeks, it takes me six hours to get that thing to work. Can you yeah. imagine how long it would take Jordy to get all the printers on the fucking Enterprise working that haven't been used in seven years? How often do you reckon um, mem- members of Starfleet teleport a printer into space and blow it up? Yeah. <laughs> Just... Also, but... Jordy as the chief engineer is presumably the guy who has to get it to work, but we are told that Jordy uh, doesn't actually have normal vision. So... When Jordy does the test print and it comes out and it, the printer says, has the cyan printed correctly? He doesn't fucking know, does he? This is another problem as well. Is, is even at this point, Star Trek has yet to predict the invention of Wi-Fi. Yeah. So lots of times people like travel between decks to hand each other pads. Yeah. <laughs> Which, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's an episode that's got a lot to do because you've got to introduce yeah. all the new tech. So you've got to introduce the holodeck, you've got to do, like, you've got to establish what everything is. You've also got to introduce a crew that is significantly larger than the main crew of original series. Because mm-hmm. you've got the, the sort of, you've got Spock, you've got Kirk, you've got McCoy. But the only other major characters are Sulu and Ahura, who don't actually do much. No. Like, and, and Scotty's, again, kind of an ancillary. But I think they were setting up, I'm like, looking at this, I think they would they wanted when they were doing this, I think they were setting up Troy to be the Spock. I agree. I, yeah. Yeah. I think that they wanted to have a different type of a different take on like different a different otherworldly intelligence that like helps out the captain and is like helping him and advising him. But the problem is this moving forward, they don't know how to write women. They don't know how to write counsellors. And as a result, as this goes on you'll discover Troy is a significantly worse counsellor than Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> The one I think what they tried to do is they tried to show something quite interesting, which is that they wanted to have a Spock style character who, rather than not really understanding emotions, understands emotions too much. Yeah, which yeah. is kind of I don't know what was going on in Gene Roddenberry's head um, when it came to to autistic spectrum disorders (ASD). Because Spock, famously, is seen as a kind of, uh, you know, kind of a hero to tell a lot of people in in the, in the autistic world. And, uh, so is Data, and and Data as well. But something that you know, data, autism is is literally a spectrum. People experience it very differently. So there are autistic people, people with autism, who do have too much emotion. Like, yeah. they're hyper-emotional, and that leads them to not really understand other people's emotions. So, I think that is kind of an interesting thing, but then you're right, they don't know what to do with her. And because she is a psychic, the writers don't know how to write interesting plots where she just doesn't immediately understand what's going on. And I think it's yeah. a real shame. It's the problem is they, give, they gave her a power that's too good. Yeah. 
because she should instantly know. Like, if you want anybody to, if you want to do anything approaching an interesting plot where somebody is keeping information secret, which is basically the core of how you write drama, is one character knows something that the other characters don't. Mm-hmm. Without that, you can't really do anything. So they kind of end up having to sort of. A lot of the time, she's not around, or the best you'll go is, Captain, they're hiding something. Mm. And it's like, but so am I, because I'm not telling you my pin number, Troy. It's, you know, yeah. like, there's, it's like... You should, yeah, Troy, if you think for a fucking second I am going to tell you what Mark Program 1 on the holodeck is, <laughs> you, you are smoking crack. Oh, God, the holodeck, which is... Well, here's a question for you, right? Is, there are multiple points... There are jokes made in the uh, in Star Trek where Riker goes to the holodeck and it's made like a joke. Oh, he's going there for a quick wank. Yeah. Um, and yet, that's like nobody makes too big a deal of it. But when Barclay is later shown doing the same thing, it's suddenly shown as like a really damaging thing just because Barclay is less likable than Riker. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, but, another story concept from the next generation that is done better in the Orville. Yes, yeah. yes, but yeah, I think this is a reasonably good. I think for a for for, for a pilot for any crack at Star Trek, pretty good. This is pretty good, pretty good. But like, it, I can see it's there's a lot of the original series fingerprints all over this. But there's a lot of the proposed Phase Two stuff as well. I feel yeah. like again we should get in for if anyone anyone who turned off when you said this came out in 1989 rather than 87 went, I have anger issues. And I'm going to get back into it. So at this point, if you had said this is purely made up of the DNA of the original series and not mentioned Phase 2, the proposed 1970 Star Trek show, they would have given themselves a heart attack. Which, again, much of the, if you are, again, if you're familiar with this, much of the design work and stuff that they were doing for that second uh, Phase 2 did become Star Trek The Motion Picture, Mm -hmm. which we will talk about, I I imagine, at some point, Mm -hmm. because it's a film. That you can watch, and by God, is it dull? <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. No, it's not it, terrible. Like, it's fine. It's fine. Somebody, so, somebody watched two thousand and one: A Space Odyssey and said, "Do you know what the best part of this is? When a ship starts off really small and far away, and we watch it <laughs> until it's close. Let's do that." <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, it's it's never going to make my top ten. It's fine. No. I, I I believe in judging things on their own merits and at, from their own time. This is the pilot, the writers, the actors didn't quite have the characters down, they didn't have the dynamics down, but they, they're they going to get there. It's it's really weird as well, because like I say, you have issues like, Geordie's not chief engineer, yep. um, Tasha Yar, look, I like Denise Crosby, I think she's a fine actress, and she left the show, I think, because she didn't think her character had enough to do, and I can understand that, but when you see Worf at the tactical display, suggesting constantly that they blow everything up. That just seems right. Yeah. It fits in a way that, like, Tasha never did. Yeah, I agree. And I imagine I imagine they could have done something really interesting. Tasha Yas feels like she would have been more interesting as, like, a Deep Space Nine character. When it's, like, when you, like, got time to really dig into, like, backstories, because you're not going anywhere and you can do full episodes and shit like that. But I just, yeah. There's a lot... In this, where it's like, oh, it's, there's the there's the template of what could be great, and unfortunately, it's 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 downhill from here for about a season and a half. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, fuck it. But we haven't even agreed. Are we doing these every week? Yeah. Yeah, fuck it. Yeah, so join us next if we, week. If we've got fuck all on, we might yeah. accelerate it to two a week just to really get through these seasons. Yeah, but we'll... We'll do. We'll yeah. We'll get this one edited and out at some point. Probably, what we'll probably do is, and this is just some admin that you can like, listen to. If we record every Monday and then release the one we recorded the Monday before, that gives me plenty of time to edit it. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Uh, okay. So join us next week for fuck. Actually, what is the second episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation? Because I've never fucking checked. I don't. I've watched Encounter at Farpoint a bunch of times, and I've never gotten further than that because then I immediately skip to season three because I've got shit to do. Uh, what? So let me look this up. What is the next episode? I've got a sneak suspicion I'm going to look at it. I'm going to recognise it and then I'm going to be sad. Um, right. Join us next week for The Naked Now. Oh god no that one's that's not bad actually. Nice. Right okay. All Bye. Right. Engage. The Captain's Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at Ed Edwards Comedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog. <laughs>